Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. We have three planks to our writing manifesto. One, to help you write more. Two, to help you write better. And three, to help you be a little bit happier as you do so. To that end, I speak to authors, editors, psychologists, all sorts of people about stories, creativity and publishing. I sometimes monologue on various topics adjacent to the practice of making stories or occasionally squarely in the middle of the practice of making stories. I've made a couple of free online audio courses where you can learn to creative write in teeny tiny tater tot sized chunkettes. And very occasionally these days I do Actually, you're continually screaming at me to do, um, very encouragingly, of course, which is to uh, take the first page of a listener's story and look at ways we might make it better. And that's what we're going to do today. I I promised last time we were going to do it, which was a good idea because it committed me, if only uh, by guilt. Uh, But then I've been uh, nose to the grindstone, asked the accelerator, working on finishing a draft of my latest book, which I just uh, submitted uh, two days ago. So there's been a a big old gap between episodes. But listen, I'm back. I'm speaking to you right now. And a bunch of listeners sent me first pages because I put uh, a call out on Twitter and immediately just got an avalanche of submissions, which was really exciting. Thank you so much. Um, So let's do one. Before I jump in, uh, just to say that if you'd like to submit something for a future episode, keep listening and I'll tell you how at the end. Also, my next uh, big project is theoretically going to be, I mean, I'm, I feel pretty nervous about it now. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to work. I mean, I've definitely tried stuff and cocked up before or, or, or sort of started steaming into stuff and it's kind of fallen apart uh, like a, like, like a, uh, like a, like a cake in the rain. As uh, MacArthur Park would have it, but um, I'm I'm going to be trying to you you know use the podcast to write a novel from start to finish, um, and you know not the actual noise of of, of my fingers tapping keys uh, that would be tedious, but the process I, I and 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 I rather than you know like picking one of the I think I've got like five bits of novels that I've been working on and losing faith in and stumbling backwards and having all sorts of difficulties, so I've been having a little bit of a sort of writers not writers block exactly but getting to a certain point and then flaking on novels or deciding that I don't think I'm doing a very good job and whatever so I really thought um it might be an idea for me to go something that maybe is a little bit more generic and I don't mean that in a disparaging way but something squarely in them something tropey basically something that uses that where there's clear structures I can borrow from how you know my having a go at working within an established formula um kind of for fun although I think it'll be hard work and difficult and I might not do it very well um but also just to kind of get myself through that and and, and so I thought I'd have a bash at doing some I guess what I'm going to term pulp fantasy but may just be classic fantasy you know something tropey something probably not super good but um so I can we can together look at structure and plot and uh, genre ideas and tropes and I'll probably go to some different sort of like suggestions and models of how you put a story together or how you build a plot and how you know I guess uh a lot of blockbuster movies get structured as well, which isn't a perfect fit onto the novel, but we can borrow from some of that 
structural ideas and, and just kind of look at a story with all its guts out and with its skeleton on show to figure out how stories work i think that's going to be an interesting process for me i want to learn that so i'm not actually just to be clear i'm not proposing i'm going to do this as an expert to let you uh, in on a on a master class of how a genius does it um i'm i'm want to learn and i just thought well why not why not just do that with you rather than privately um I think if nothing else, parts of it are going to be fun because there's actually no pressure on me. If I cock it up, then that's kind of okay. And you can see the process of my cocking it up. And if, if we get I get to the stage with it and I'm like, I can't write this, it's too bad. I think I've just made a mistake. Um then I'll sort of let you in on that process as well. And you can see, we can see what happens when a writer chooses to abandon a project. I'm not planning to do that. I'd, I'd really like to try and use some of these models for writing something kind of quick and dirty first draft and see if I can do that because I, I, I struggle so much with self-criticism and self-censorship in a way that stops me from writing at all. Um, I want to see if there's a way around that for me or if kind of giving up and doubting and changing and writing in this kind of baroque, uh, needlessly fancy way is just my the way I work. You know, maybe that's not something that I can change. I don't know. Um, my plan is to write something, you know, quick and I guess nakedly self-indulgent. But I don't think self-indulgence is is an evil. We could all do with indulging ourselves a bit more. I think most of us, the biggest crime in creative writing and often in the world at large is self-denial not self-indulgence um but you would expect in a world that suffers from self-denial that the most common accusation would be self-indulgence right because that's how you police that's how you force people into self-denial anyway look i just want to do something silly and fun but i expect some bits will be genuinely difficult i just want to do something unserious and whiz bang you know i want to write a yarn uh and, uh, you know, it'll probably have lots of very... I'm not expecting it to be terribly original, but I would quite like bits of it to be fun. Um, and I hope you might consider joining in with me and listening along and maybe writing your own adventure too. You know, I, I won't be leaving gaps in the episodes for you actually to do exercises, but I will be proposing, like, the individual things that I'm doing to approach it in the build-up and then writing the thing itself. So you'll be able to either pause the episode or afterwards take some time to do what I've done and see what you can come up with yourself. I think it will be good practice and interesting. I may face plant, but I know you'll forgive me if I do completely crap at it. Uh, uh, I, um, and what I lose in authority, hopefully I, 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 can, I can, can make up in a sense that um, of honesty, right? And openness. <laughs> as if i have authority already and finally just to say if you do like the show it's um almost all made possible thanks to listeners uh i mean obviously listeners are the you're the purpose of this right is my communicating it to you but people um drop me a few um beans uh which is uh me using slang uh to mean money and it helps me cover my hosting costs on soundcloud and for my website and and, and put time into it i've got a coffee page which is just ko dash fi.com forward slash tim clare there's a link on in the show notes and on my website and on my twitter uh, bio you don't get anything extra for um, helping out uh, except my genuine gratitude uh, i don't have like a tier for i know some people do patreon um subscribers and they do a monthly newsletter or release things and that's really super cool i'm you know those people are 
doing great and that must take a lot of discipline to, but I, I just don't feel I could ever provide that much content and then I'd be putting it behind a paywall for like a relatively small number of people and I just I just don't feel like it would be a great trade-off of my time and I don't think you'd be getting very good value for it and frankly like I do you know I apart from trying to like be a dad and do my work during a pandemic like I no one who listens to this show often um is getting you know is under any illusion that I am someone who sometimes has like issues with mental illness I, I, I'm still embarrassed about saying that now you'd think I would have got better oh but I just don't want to be on the hook for disappointing a lot of people who've shown the most faith in me out of anyone do you know what I mean like like to ask listeners and say hey do you want to support the show you can be like part of this special tier and then those are the people I flake on I because you know I I'm having a you know a difficult time or whatever or struggling somehow I know people would kind of forgive me but I'd feel like crap um and you know, I just I just don't want to I just don't want to put myself in that position, and I don't want people to feel I'm exploiting their goodwill. So, you know, you, you know, you don't you don't get anything except you know my genuine gratitude, and 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 I guess like the cumulative effect is my ability to do more and more of um, episodes and put more time in and take bigger risks. So th- there is ultimately a community benefit, but um not an individual benefit um but amazingly people have pitched in i i remain completely astonished in a great way at how many people have support support the podcast how much generosity there and, and, and the kind messages and it just means so much and i obviously when i'm because it's transactional right there's a dynamic where i'm getting money for it um that can't that that, that can't help but be tinged with an element of self-servingness right if I'm going I just want to say wow I'm so touched by the uh, generosity of the community I am but that might also seem like a way of trying to solicit more donations from the community and I can't really I can't really uh I can't really slice that Gordian knot I can't really untangle that pretzel of um the uh the hell of um the impossibility of altruism that um capitalism places us in uh, nonetheless you know i'm, I'm going to try and put um a, a few more posts up on my uh kofi page the kofi page i keep reading it it's ko-fi and i keep reading it in the same way i read kofi annan um coffee page um I'll try and put some more substantial posts up on there just to give people an update. I might even put like a little totalizer or that, that or, or something like that for the big project, um, just to sort of show people, just to just just to give a sense of how much people have been funding, and maybe that will make it interesting or show what I'm doing with it or you know show that if it, I get to a certain level of donations and I can do extra episodes but i'm going to continue doing this big project all the while contacting authors to do some interview episodes because i just really personally enjoy chatting to authors uh, I, I love it um and uh, that's just that's just for me really those ones I, I think every well no i think lots of listeners enjoy them as well but i know that the episode i'm genuinely about to get to is um what people like the most as well as my doing exercises. and there's gonna be lots of that as well um 
but I just I know that speaking to other authors I get so much out of I find it so exciting it's such a privilege to be able to chat to them and and learn from them and so I want to do a lot more of that so although I'll be doing this big project I will be breaking it up with different things along the way because um I just like keeping the energies mixed right um right okay that's it cool thank you basically i'm not don't worry i'm not going to start nagging or anything about kind of like uh donations or anything like that um I, it's just a heads up there that it's up there if you um, if you feel like helping out right on today's extract so um most you may know the format already people send in the first uh, page of their of their novel hopefully i mean sometimes pe- i get the impression that sometimes people send me a work in progress but really i'd like you to have finished the novel and then this be the super edited version in any case uh today's extract uh this um opening section is untitled and it's by matthew you are woken in the night by a nurse making her rounds she lifts your arm to wrap a cuff around it and you feel it inflate it is the pressure of it tightening that wakes you you roll open your eyes and watch as she reaches for your hand and places a peg on your finger to measure your oxygen levels, turns your head and pushes a thermometer into your ear. She is decisive and efficient but not rough. Her hands smell of alcohol from the hand sanitizer. When the thermometer beeps, she removes it and ejects it into a tray on her cart. She opens a valve and the cuff deflates with a rush of escaping air as she takes the peg from your finger. When she removes her latex gloves, they pull off her hands with a sharp crack like the sound of a pistol. You jump. I'm sorry, Constance. I didn't mean to startle you, she says. Is everything all right? Everything's fine. All within range. So will I be able to go home today? Yes, later this morning. I'll go over your discharge plan with you after breakfast, and then you'll be free to go. Is someone coming to pick you up? No, unfortunately my sister's busy and can't get away, so I'll need to go home in an ambulance. Okay, I'll arrange it with hospital transport, but there may be a bit of a wait, I'm afraid. That's fine. Thank you. And here are my thoughts on that piece. This is me again, by the way, in case... I know there's not really a good way for me to indicate the extract is over, but you might, you know, if you weren't, I suppose if you were sort of more experiment, experimentally minded, you might think that this was all the continuing piece and it, it was just a very sort of meta narrative and narrator that suddenly starts talking as if, well, there's, no, there's really no way any author who sends me in something could then write part of the extract in the voice of someone who sounds like Tim Clare, you know, that that this could all be part of the story, in which case you'd never know when it ended and when the critique began, because it could all just be sort of a meta-textual commentary in the story. I suppose you would expect that I would limit the word limit, but perhaps I just really enjoyed it and then didn't tell you about it. To, oh gosh, I, I'm actually starting to feel slightly spun out that I might be not real and just part of a story well aren't we all okay so here are my thoughts on sorry Matthew although I didn't mean to derail your piece um uh, let, let, let's get on with it 
You are woken in the night by a nurse making her rounds. So lest it ever be said that I am some tedious ideologue married to the to a suite of arbitrary creative rules, let's talk about two open bunny quotes rules, close bunny quotes that this first line breaks. I mean, look, sometimes, often, in fact, people will sagaciously murmur to me, you have to learn the rules before you can break them. Not true. I mean, that is obviously not true. That doesn't have even the merest face validity. What a stupid thing to say. I don't know any of the rules of fencing, for example, yet I bet you a pasty I could break multiple rules of fencing, both written and implicit, within the first 30 seconds of stepping onto the court. Don't strike your opponent with a wet sock filled with cat shit. No one would see my doing that in a fencing match as proof that I was a master fencer. No one would see me as a cool rebel. Actually, guys, I'm a bit of a, a maverick on the swordplay scene. Transcended the traditional constraints. Bit of a jazz fencer. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Creative writing does not have rules, just norms. But that doesn't mean that the norms have all been externally imposed by some malevolent, artless killjoy. It just means you do certain things and you produce certain effects. Two rules of creative writing, uh, rules in uh, implied scare quotes, don't write in the second person, you are woken in the night because you sound pretentious and artsy-fartsy, and, and don't cast sentences in the passive voice. In this case, you are woken in the night by a nurse rather than a nurse wakes you in the night. Now, most of the time, recasting sentences as active rather than passive makes them stronger. Peter kissed Paul rather than Paul was kissed by Peter. It emphasises agency and there's less grammatical cartilage getting in the way. It's it's become fashionable of late for people to write Jeremiads inveighing against this um, anti-passive voice trend in creative writing pedagogy. The surest way to position yourself as a member of the literati is to write a few paragraphs on how terribly gauche all these people are thoughtlessly obeying stylistic principles when any real artiste knows that the passive voice is a thang of beauty. But in this instance, Matthew, hello, thanks for submitting. In this instance, I think it's fine. It front loads the sentence with you, foregrounding the unusual choice of the second person. Uh, you are woken in the night is a pretty cool opening clause. I, I like that. I like the slight text adventure retro feel to it. And it has a cadence to it. You are woken in the night. Lovely, lovely. And, and, and that, you know, the end of that clause, you are woken in the night. So you've got that little um, adverbial bit on the end. You are woken, and then the adverbial bit is in the night, modifying woken. You are woken. And there's an immediate an edge of drama and kind of gothic atmosphere, I think. Maybe it's the, you know, it was a dark and stormy night. And to be clear, a nurse wakes you in the night would be fine too. I'm not saying that's a bad sentence. It's perfectly comprehensible. A nurse wakes you in the night. But it's not. But the word order, right, mimics the order in which information comes to the protagonist. Awareness of self, awareness, they've just woken up. Oh, it's a nurse and she must be making her rounds. You are woken in the night by a nurse making her rounds. 
Now, actually, that's a final point I want to pick up. I think making her rounds is the weakest part of this sentence. It's just an inference, right? It's just an abstract bit of editorialising. It's not tangible. You know, it's not something that we nor the, uh, the protagonist can see or taste or hear. Making your rounds isn't a discrete action. It's it's just a commentary on what she's doing, on its purpose. She's doing her rounds. It doesn't exist in the moment. And rounds is just a dull word to close a sentence that started with you. Like the round round her rounds are not are not like a a core bit of information in this moment or in in this sentence. You know, especially compared to the word nurse. You know, imagine if the sentence were. You are woken in the night by a nurse. We start off with the protagonist and we end with the reveal of their predicament. Pretty good, huh? You know, I mean, I suppose if you want to be a little less on the nose, because I do, I just do like the simplicity of you are woken in the night. But if you want to be a bit, a bit less on the nose, like, because because going like you are woken in the night by a nurse. Oh, no. You know, like, uh, a nurse, which implies you're in hospital. Oh, what can ever happen? You know, I, I get that some people might find that, like, a little, a, a, a little, a little bit kind of, um, a little bit blunt. Uh, then, you know, I'd suggest, you know, your your final adverbial clause here um, should just be more concrete. It should appeal to one of our five senses. It should pick out some detail our brains can glom on to something about the nurse, some smell or sound or idiosyncratic small detail that makes this scene real, that stops it being generic. You know, a nurse, that's a that's a very kind of like Beano-style designation. It's a, it's a generic designation. We're very much, you know, dealing in archetypes. I don't care about the category nurse. I don't want to get cancelled for saying that obviously I care about the NHS and about the staff that are doing loads at the moment I just mean as a reader I don't it's not as exciting let me rephrase as a reader it's not as exciting to I support our nurses my mum works for the NHS I'm I, I feel like nationalized health is really important okay what I'm saying is um as a reader the the category nurse is less interesting to me than my knowing and ideally seeing or hearing this nurse in your story this specific nurse terribly demanding of me i know look i uh, but overall i i'm saying this is actually a, a, an unfussy reasonably well executed first sentence um there are a lot of straightforward one syllable words i love that i'm into that we're immediately flung into a situation and there is a modicum of clarity good 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 there's you know very little faff that's great I, I i don't see that sort of efficiency enough in the submissions i get to be honest so please matthew overall see this as a matter of tweaks rather than some uh, deep personal failure i'm sure you didn't see it as a deep personal failure but do adjust it because it would be a shame not to go that final 20 percent when it's so nearly there she lifts your arm to wrap a cuff around it and you feel it inflate. Oh, pronouns, you tiny mercurial devils, tricksters of the dictionary. Let's read that sentence again and as we do, direct your attention towards the two instances of it. She lifts your arm to wrap a cuff around it and you feel it inflate. 
Now, the naive reader might take this to mean that the nurse is inflating the protagonist's arm, perhaps. They're the Michelin man and he's in hospital with a slow puncture. Certainly, that would be a cool premise for a story and I would read it. But I suspect what you mean here, Matthew, is that the cuff is inflating. Of course, because we're wearing our genre normative spectacles, we don't immediately assume this is either about a sentient inner tube nor the beginning of an inflation fetish story, uh, both of which are completely super, super valid genres. It could be both. Um, But I, I, I don't think anyone here reading this would be actually confused that the nurse had just come along and started inflating the protagonist's arm but it's a little ambiguity that might snag someone just for a moment it's, it's just like the tiniest little audible guff during a wedding speech you know no one's going to get crucified for it the couple aren't going to get divorced immediately but it does take the varnish off the mood just a tad she lifts your arm to wrap a cuff around it weird use of two here she she lifts your arm to wrap a cuff around it she's lifting your arm with the intent to do this thing notice you don't actually say in this sentence that the nurse does wrap the cuff around the arm she it's the difference between writing jeff opened the door to step outside and jeff opened the door and stepped outside the latter contains two distinct actions the former contains an action and then implies he's still hovering there in on the threshold about to say something or change his mind poor indecisive jeffrey that's another reason why the second clause sounds odd at first the nurse hasn't yet wrapped the cover around the arm according to what we've seen on the page so it sounds like the arm is inflating in response to her lifting it you know she lifts your arm to wrap a cuff around it and then it starts inflating uh-oh, going to be hard getting that cuff on now, old Senor Puffy Arms. What, you know, what a thick she lifts. I mean, maybe that is the, maybe that's the injury. We don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm being facetious and obviously you can't close down every deliberately wrong interpretation of your text. But I think it behooves you where you do have control to limit unintentional ambiguity. You feel it inflate by the way, is an oddly bloodless way to close the sentence. It's just, again, it's a bit abstract. You feel it inflate. I feel like instead with this line, you could zero in on a couple of sensory details. You know, the rip of the the Velcro or the crackle, I guess, as it goes on. You know, the coldness or roughness of the cuff as the nurse attaches it around the protagonist's bicep. Is, is that where you're supposed to do blood pressure monitoring? I can't remember. Um, the last time I did it was, I think, one New, Year, New Year's Eve, like we spent the whole time checking each other's blood pressure with the monitor we got cheap from aldi wild times don't get me wrong like i like that you're focusing in on a specific action in this line and and i'm not overplaying it you know i just think this could be phrased a little more felicitously Um, it is the pressure of it tightening that wakes you wait what but I'm already awake. How did I know she lifted my arm if I only woke from the pressure? This is a classic example of point of view slip. Of course, I've already painted myself into a corner by arguing there are no rules, only norms. But I think if you want to exploit the power of the second person, you know, where you're explicitly inviting us to step into the experience of this protagonist, then it's best to limit our knowledge to what the protagonist knows. Here in this opening, you spend two sentences having the character wake up in a bed. 
his nurse. She lifts their arm. There's the squeeze of the cuff. And then it's like, oh. And it's then that you wake up. Well, who was watching the rest of that shit? Jimmy the omniscient cannula. My immersion is broken. Also, this is a clunky way of phrasing this. It is the pressure of it tightening. Should be it's tightening, by the way. That's a mislaid possessive. It is the pressure of it tightening that wakes you. Why not the pressure of it's tightening wakes you? What do the extra it is and that add? The main verb of this clause becomes is instead of wakes. So, you know, it is the pressure of it rather than the pressure of it's tightening wakes you. So instead of emphasizing the core action, the the waking, you're emphasizing this abstract state of existence, which I I know sounds like I'm uh, nitpicking or, uh, you know, grammatical overreach by your humble and charmingly vulnerable host. But I I, I really do think that's the reason why the, the sentence... It is the pressure of it tightening that wakes you sounds more distant and static. And again, framing a sentence in that way isn't wrong. Although the repetition of it to refer to two distinct things in quick succession, yet again, is clunky. But it has a different effect. I'd argue that there's a subtle tonal difference between, in the end, it was the damp that did for Henry, and in the end... The damp did for Henry, and in that case, you know, I I I I perform, but I prefer the former for for most instances, especially if you are opening a book, maybe later on. But that kind of like slightly distanced, static business, as if you're describing something that happened before the beginning of the story, that's outside of the narrative present, could be quite useful. You know, it implies an event in the past, something done and dusted and final, rather than something that, although it's reported in the past tense, is implicitly happening in the narrative present. I mean, if you want the protagonist to come round to this sensation, open with it, you know, open with the squeeze of the cuff, its cold grip. You roll open your eyes and watch as she reaches for your hand and places a peg on your finger to measure your oxygen levels, turns your head and pushes a thermometer into your ear. You roll open your eyes. Matthew, this is not how human eyes open. And watch as, if you're describing the action and you've just mentioned the protagonist opening their eyes, you don't need this as a filtering phase. Just write, you open your eyes. A nurse reaches for your hand. The reader is intelligent enough to understand that the protagonist is watching this unfold through the um, aforementioned eyes. That's not some massive semantic chasm you need to bridge by specifying how they perceive the information. Better, again, to focus on the most prominent sensations in this moment. The feel of her touching the protagonist's hand. the, The pressure of the pulse oximeter clamping down on their finger and places a peg on your finger. Look, I don't expect the protagonist to know the names of every single piece of medical apparatus, and and if they did, I wouldn't understand them, because I don't. But it's weird reading places a peg on your finger, because I imagined a literal clothes peg until we finally get to measure your oxygen levels then I'm like oh it's a it's a pulse oximeter I go back and I I take a second crack at the sentence right I understand what you mean by peg now uh, but because I don't have sufficient information when I first hit the word my read through my first read through is always going to be wrong so I have to read the same sentence twice which bogs the reader down so for reasons they don't understand your story starts to feel like hard work 
like these things are often invisible to you as a, as an author, but they can mean the difference between a thumping good read, something really readable and fun, and something that is just really grindy and for reasons people can't put their finger on just doesn't grab them turns your head and pushes the thermometer into your ear like uh this is nice and clear i I must admit i didn't realize that people take thermometer readings in the ear but um i guess i i I believe you i'm not an expert on hospitals and this feels like it's got so it's informed by some kind of experience or research so I, i i i accept that um but but I'd, I'd like you to give us the experience from the inside. You know, how does it feel to have the thermometer pushed into their ear? That's really what I'm after. You know, uh, this scene is oddly devoid of sound at this point, by the way. Speaking of ears, I can't tell if the protagonist is in an open ward or in their own room. Wouldn't they be listening out? You know, hospital wards, from my experience, have creepy and distressing sounds at night time. And, and they're unfamiliar, which makes you sort of hypersensitive to those. She is decisive and efficient, but not rough. So, so my normal impulse is, is to say, show, don't tell. But on the other hand, I'm not sure how you show this, right? And to a certain extent, it's an internal assessment. The only thing I'd say is that you don't need the negation it's like, unless you tell us the nurse is being rough, you don't have to step in to flag the absence of roughness. Otherwise, you're just drawing our attention to something that isn't there. Maybe this would read better as her movements are decisive and efficient. Or her movements are decisive but gentle. Decisive and efficient are, after all, two attempts at describing the same thing. You could just pick one of those words. And gentle is just a way of saying not rough, but in a positive form. Her hands smell of alcohol from the hand sanitizer. I think you can just say you smell hand sanitizer or you smell the sharp tang of hand sanitizer or similar if you want to go specific post-pandemic or at the time of recording mid-pandemic. I don't think there's anyone who doesn't know what hand sanitizer smells like, so you don't have to specify alcohol. Uh, by the same logic, it's weirdly, it's weird to specify that her hands smell from the hand sanitizer. Like, where else would hand sanitizer be? She's not going to be wearing it as a cologne. Like, I like the sensory detail. That's good. I actually like the practical detail of her taking the thermometer out afterwards and and, and the cuff are off in the next two sentences. That that feels you know it feels robust. I I am I'm a big fan of sort of mundane. observations and just bits of that kind of blocking i like it a lot actually um but i've reached the point where i want some tension now is the only problem because this after all is your first page you know maybe i want some proprioception you know one or two i i I delivered tried to deliver that word sort of but uh kind of casually but um i think that might be the first time i've said it out loud proprioception proprioception i believe those are both accepted pronunciations maybe i want some proprioception propri i I prefer proprioception maybe i want some proprioception but basically you know one or two internal sensations is what i'm talking about if perception is outside 
proprioception is internal. You know, how is this person's body feeling? Are they aching, groggy, sick? Is something broken? Are they hungry? Is their mouth dry? Or are they fine? You know, kind of happy, well-rested. Although that's less interesting, I guess. All of what we get so far from this scene is external and mostly visual you know but particularly since this person is convalescing in a hospital i want some sense of their inner state you know how dinged up are they if at all that seems an important question given where they are the dialogue that comes is fine i'm glad you supply us with a name that's grounding and certainly the dialogue is believable it's not exaggerated or larded with clunky exposition it's convincing in the sense that the information exchanged seems reasonable for the two characters to be saying out loud there's no as you know but like i don't know i just feel like for a first page this has a big so what energy surrounding it you know it's it's like watching james bond fill in a mental health questionnaire while he waits to see his osteopath like maybe there is some story waiting to be born but this ain't it chief Constance asks if everything's all right. It is. Tension immediately deflated. Oh no, wait, there's a wrinkle. They don't have anyone to pick them up, so there's a bit of a wait. That classic hook, the mild inconvenience plot. I, I, do people get lifts home from the hospital in an ambulance? That seemed... Uh, maybe they do, but... Just that seemed an odd detail. I thought ambulances were like emergency vehicles for going out and picking someone up, not taxiing them. Why can't you just take a taxi? I didn't quite understand that, why Constance was insisting on being ferried home in an ambulance. And I, anyway, I just, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, don't, but that just struck me as an odd thing to specify. Um, now, look, I get there may be more going on in this scene. You know, maybe their sister's absence hints at some greater rift. Maybe I should be desperately interested in what led Constance to the hospital in the first place. But to be honest, I don't care. Uh, and, and and I do think it's a bad rule of thumb to, uh, you know, ask. So people, sometimes people call it the, the, the so what test. Uh, and I've already used that term, so what, uh, giving feedback. But they'll say, you know, if you read a page and say, so what, then you need to up the stakes. But you can respond, so what, to anything. People respond, so what, to, you know, whole countries having natural disasters and they, you know, get on with their evening without being bothered. Like, it, it's not... A, people. Anyone can be indifferent about something. It doesn't take any great skill and it doesn't imply any great failure of craft on your part so when i say i don't care i want to drill down into why so you can see if you think that's a problem but i just constance feels empty to me they don't exhibit any obvious needs or wants especially since there's only one dialogue tag right at the beginning she says that's the nurse the rest is just bear there you know i imagine it was quite a job for listeners to distinguish between speakers um notwithstanding my superlative talents as an audiobook narrator and i realize on the page you got line breaks but um that's not enough especially for that many exchanges where's where's our dialogue beats you know our experience mediated through constants it's, it's just a transcript there's no physicality and not only is there no physicality but there's no content to what they're saying i mean look and yes of course you could overdo it 
with those same dialogue exchanges. I, I'm not suggesting you go all... I'm sorry, Constance. I didn't mean to startle you, she says. She glances at the thermometer on the tray, her eyes like small, furtive, predatory woodland creatures. Your gut churns. What is she hiding? What doesn't she want you to know? Is everything all right, you say, slyly, trying to make it sound offhand. The nurse licks her dry lips and swallows, as if sampling the mouthfeel of a vintage lie. Everything's fine, she utters blandly. All within range. Within range of what, you wonder. A chill thrills through your supine body. So will I be able to go home today, you inquire, etc., etc. But one or two scoops of emotional heft, you know, something to give this the opening page of your story, your shop window, some intimation of stakes, of import, of intrigue, of momentum, of humour even, or surprise. I just think this feels like a very matter-of-fact conversation about a situation where most of the drama, at least on the surface, appears to have passed. And that's probably not the case. I assume this is heading towards a story of some kind or another, but just withholding information about why Constance is here and what happened to them isn't enough to propel us through bland make-weight dialogue. That sounds like I'm being uh, gratuitously harsh. I know, Matthew, to be clear, you are a fantastic human being. This isn't in any way even related to your incontestable value. As a person, it's not even on the word-by-word level, quote-unquote, bad dialogue. As I say, it's not overwritten, it's not try-hard or silly, it's just it's just happening somewhere where the story isn't. We're standing around with actors while they take up their mascot heads off and have a, have a fag break. Good dialogue it, it is not, despite what, you know, you might infer from, uh, you know, certain tips it's not purely about style uh, you can't jazz up a scene that's about nothing you can't just sell nothingy dialogue in a scene with no tension by just writing it better and using bigger more descriptive words around the dialogue you know there's no interesting power dynamic between these two characters in this scene. There's no great revelation either. You know, we might as well be watching Constance try to return a toaster at John Lewis. As I've said before, I'm emphatically not demanding that every scene be a sword fight on the gondola of a burning airship. But we need something. You know, the number of scenes I read during my creative writing MA that were just about an adult making some unappetizing soup people thought that was literary apparently you know an unflinching portrayal of middle-class domestic drudgery but actually it was just crap like and that's fine look i've written a lot of crap in my life we all do like i submitted a lot of crap to those workshops i'm i'm not um i'm not accusing anyone of anything that i haven't done on the reg myself and continue to do what i'm saying matthew is this scene is being a little too coy it's all bridle and no racehorse make a proper intriguing bid for our attention why should we read this your story give up part of our finite and only lives to read a bunch of words you've arranged 
in a certain order to tell us a lie. Why should we care about that and not spend that time eating pizza or with our family? I, I think that's, you know, that's the that's the barrier that every book and every story anyone ever writes has to cross, right? That's the, you, why is this a better bid for our attention than everything else that exists in this incredible world? And, and so don't hold back thinking that ambiguity and being tight-fisted with what's actually going on will make us eager to read on. Far better, actually, to spell out exactly what's happening because then we know what's at stake. The question at the forefront of the reader's mind should not be what's happening, but instead what's going to happen next. I hope that's uh, helpful or at least not actively destructive to your creative life, Matthew. Thank you very much for submitting. I, 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 I delivered that final maxim with a little bit too much self-satisfaction but that's okay i'll try to convert the egotism of self-satisfaction into the gentle cockle warming heat of uh, self-compassion and love now if you and now i'm addressing you the listener would like to submit the first 250 words of your novel for me to critique on a future show go to my website www.timclairpoet.co.uk or there's a link to my website in the show notes of today's episode there's a little box on my website that says contact me click it give me the 250 words just as text absolutely no more than 250 words of text if i find more than 250 words in the body text i simply do not use it um because i have so many um i basically you know this is the first hurdle you got to pass um i get loads and loads and loads of submissions would love to include your work but if you don't submit according to the requirements, then that's just a straight up no from me. Um, uh, and include your name and the title. Uh, that's it. I don't want any synopsis. I don't want any spiel. Please make the work as good as you can. You know, polish it, edit it. I'd like to be offering you feedback at the top of your game. Otherwise, I'm just pointing out stuff you already know. Right. Next episode, I'm hoping we're going to leap into this terrifying unknown of my actually starting work on a novel. I guess that's going to be me looking at some ideas and maybe looking at some suggestions of how other people have approached this. Maybe thinking about some stories that I've liked in the past. I have no idea what it's going to be about, except it's going to be a pretty traditional fantasy adventure that I end up writing. And I'm going to try to write it fast. You know, I'll see if I can dredge up a bunch of tips or structures or ideas from old pulp writers and I'm going to do a bit of planning and then I'll knock out something very tropey not super original I might get tangled up in a web of self-loathing and not be able to write we'll have to see but um, hopefully we're going to get a case study where we can play with plot and structure and archetypes and try to see how these things work it's going to be a learning experience for me possibly a massive failure but failures are the best way to learn so i'm looking forward to that in the meanwhile thank you for listening thank you for bearing with me through all the spiel take care of yourself feed your body and heart and i wish you a wonderful week of writing